You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. Good to see you all on. I keep thinking this is our last bit of like cold, dry air, and then I keep getting wonderfully surprised. So uh, that was happy and pleasant this morning. So I feel like uh, I'm just going to be really honest with you all because that's what I do sometimes, good or bad. (laughs) Uh, I feel like it's like Christmas and you've gone up into the attic and you've pulled out a box of Christmas decorations and the first thing on top of the box is the pile of lights that you wound up and stuffed in the box at the end of last Christmas. And I'm pulling out this pile and they're just a tangled mess. And instead of like untangling all of the string of lights, you'd rather just go to the store and buy new lights because they're like a buck 50 and who cares and you know, the environment and whatever, right? Um, not that I do that, right? I'm just saying other people I know might maybe do something like that. And so like, I, if you've been paying attention to socials or anything like that, you know that one of the things that we're doing is we're entering this new series where we're going to be talking about like heaven and hell and the afterlife and things that happen after you die. But before we do that, we have to this morning first summarize the gospel. And I'm like, okay, good. So we're going to sit down and for 30 minutes-ish, we're going to summarize like everything you need to know about the good news of Jesus. We're going to summarize the Bible. We're going to summarize. And I'm like, hold on, this feels like a lot. And maybe I put my foot in my mouth a little bit here. We're going to do our best and give it the old uh, college try. But I, I want to like give you a little bit of background as to why this series is happening, because I think there's part of this that just for me anyways is interesting and fascinating. As I grew up, I was always just interested in like the rapture and end times and what happens when you die and Jesus coming back and some of those sorts of like questions that some of y'all may or may not be asking. Um, but then more recently, I think it's... Uh, this is the series that I wish I could give anyone and everyone who's at a funeral. There's this really weird line in Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible, because it's basically like everything sucks and the world is terrible. Enjoy it. Bye. The end, right? And you're like, well, what do we do with that? But there's this really weird line in there where it talks about the, the young man or the young woman that goes to a funeral is better than the young man and the young woman that goes to a party. And I, like, like, I think there's something absolutely like golden in there because I'm like validated as a pessimistic, dark human being who just looks at the world and is like, man, this is terrible. Yes, the funeral's where it's at. That is where truth can be found and the party, no, not so much. But I feel like uh, there's something here that we're trying to get at that I wish I could give each and every person that I encounter at a funeral. Um, this last week, I was invited to a funeral from a very old friend from like high school days, and just some of the conversations that you hear at a funeral 
like especially as a pastor, someone who's been seminary trained, and when you're standing in a room filled with people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are beginning to talk about what has happened to the person who's passed away and begin to process it, like this is not the time and place to correct folks' theology, right? Well, actually, you know, and yet there's so much about that, like if I can just be blunt, that is just like wrong. There's so much about how you and I have probably popularly heard and understood the good news of Jesus that is just like not what Jesus is offering us. And so I thought, well, uh, let's rip the Band-Aid. Let's spend several weeks kind of talking about this and we can have this conversation now instead of at a funeral because that feels wildly way more appropriate. There will be a million questions that come up. And so we've created a landing page for you. You can go to redemptionhou.com slash Q and A. That's A and D. A. Yeah. What? Yeah, Quanda. There we go. Yeah. Redemptionhou.com slash Quanda. Um, It wouldn't let me do the and sign. Sorry about that. Whatever questions you have, fill it out here over the next several weeks as things come up. What about this or what about that? Or you talked a little bit about this. Can you say more? Like we will, at the end of this series, we will come back and address these questions. Um, We'll try to get to all of them. But if you want your question answered and you're not sure that it will be on that Sunday, you can just put a little note in an email and we will make sure that we actually give you a response. Okay. So with that, um, so years ago, I remember being confronted with a bit of like this unnerving reality. Like I was a, an intern at a megachurch in Houston in the missions office. Like part of what it meant, part of my DNA as a Christian was to go and share the good news of Jesus. And I was actively going out and sharing the good news of Jesus. Hey, you're a sinner. And uh, because of that, the wrath of God is upon you. And if you will believe in Jesus, then you can bridge this giant chasm that exists between you and God because of your sin. And you can then live with him forever and ever and ever in paradise instead of having to go to the bad place. And then I began to wonder, wait, we have like this whole genre of books in the Bible, called the Gospels. Like, their name is literally the Gospels, and they don't sound like this at all. And so I began to, like, in some curiosity, uh, explore this good news as I'd understood it and what the Gospels actually said. And some key elements of the good news as I had understood it at that point in my life, and this is probably going to sound familiar to some of you, The key elements of this good news were, one, my bad behavior, my bad actions. Two, Jesus' death as a means of taking God's punishment that belonged to me because of my bad actions. And then three, my going to be with God in heaven instead of hell when I die. This was, in a nutshell, the gospel. Like, if you were to go and find a track sitting on a, a park bench, and you were to pick it up, and you were to say, how do I, like, what, what's the deal? What is this gospel that Jesus talks about? It would be something along these lines. And the good news uh, became centered on souls and not bodies, That the whole point of believing in Jesus was that your soul could somehow be liberated from your body and it could exist in the eternal, happy dwelling place forever and ever and ever. And the good news became centered on heaven and not here. 
the good news was, hey, don't worry, when you die, you can go to heaven and be with Jesus forever and ever and ever, and earth is just a place where really bad stuff happens and gives you lots of bad opportunities and temptations for those bad things, so really, you kind of want to get out of here as soon as possible. And I remember, if I'm like, can I just be really brutally honest with y'all, and y'all can like gang up and decide to fire me as your pastor if you need to after this, that's totally fine. But like when, when given the option of like, hey, look, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. If you do believe in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. Which do you want? There wasn't really like a conflict of decision in that moment. But my honest answer, if I was given the freedom to have it, was neither. I don't really want to go to heaven that bad. I just don't want to be eternally tormented by fire for the rest of uh, whatever, etern- eternality, right? I guess that doesn't mean there's a rest of anything. It's just forever. Like none of those sounded like good options to me, but heaven was obviously the better choice. So I was like, I guess heaven, but what I really wanted was to stay right here in this life and to enjoy it. I used to have this prayer as a kid because I was like Southern Baptist rapture, like left, read through all the left behind books, read Revelation as like an 11 year old child. I was a weirdo, I get it. Watch these weird TBN specials about how the barcode is the mark of the beast. Y'all are in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Amen. Hallelujah. Where was I going with this? (laughs) I remember praying. I was like a little kid, y'all. I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. And I laid in bed terrified that Jesus was going to rip through the sky and take my life away as I knew it before I got to even live it. And I used to pray, like literally verbatim pray this prayer, Jesus, don't come back until I've been able to like experience life. Jesus, don't come back until I, I like I've been married or like have been able to have kids and right, all of these sorts of things. They're right in there was something in me as a little kid that understood, like, yeah, hell is hot and it's bad, I don't want to go there, and heaven is better than that, but there's something about here and now that actually really matters and is good and is beautiful that I want as a human being. And so the good news became centered on heaven and not here, and the good news became centered on behavior and not on being. Doesn't matter what type of person you are, as long as you uh, fit under certain types of behavioral expectations. And we've all seen this come to fruition in a number of ways over the last several years. You're allowed to have certain sorts of sins, but other sorts of sins mean you're not welcome in God's kingdom or at God's table. Right? Um, so a while back, a dear friend of mine who grew up and worked in an evangelical school, had just taken a job at a local Jewish college preparatory school right over here across the street. We were catching up. We were just talking about, like, the difference between, wow, like, that's a big jump. You went from working at this very conservative evangelical high school to now you're working at this very Jewish high school. Like, what's that like? Like, that's, uh, that's a journey, right? Talk to me. He's like, man, you wouldn't believe it. It's so beautiful. They have this real robust idea that one day God's going to, like, set the world right. And there's going to be like real peace and flourishing here on earth and like all things are going to be made new and like this real physical world matters. And I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar with that story. I've I've heard it before. (laughs) This man had grown up in the church, had taught for almost a decade, sorry, not taught, had run for almost a decade uh, a school at a conservative evangelical, that was associated with a conservative evangelical church. 
And his understanding of the gospel was that my soul will be saved into heaven forever and ever and ever, and this world is evil. So much so that the idea that he learned at this school, that this world actually matters, was like this brand new revolutionary idea for him. Man. So this popular and common version of the gospel that is centered on a disembodied hope that has nothing to do with this world and this life other than what happens when you die is the common answer, right? And so part of my, part of my whole thing with this whole series is I honestly just don't know where y'all are at. Like some of y'all might be like, this is the most uncomfortable sermon I've ever heard. What is this dude about to say? Like, you're tearing apart my whole whatever. Some of you might be like, oh my God, this is the most boring thing ever. I've heard this forever and ever and ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and so I don't know. So just go with me here. We're gonna try and unpack this a little bit um, over the next couple of minutes, but then really the next couple of weeks. But the, the main thing I wanna point you to and like, don't trust me, go and do it yourself. Read the gospels and you do not see Jesus proclaiming this anywhere. Hey, say a prayer, invite me into your heart so that you can go to heaven when you die. He doesn't say it anywhere. There's like one place in John where he kind of says something that maybe you could interpret as being that. There's plenty of rooms in my father's house. If there were not so, I would tell you. But that's as close as you really get. Everywhere else, he's talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, which are the same thing. They're just used in different ways in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Well, it's the same word that John uses as eternal life. And so why in the world, as I read through the gospels, as I was like confronted as this intern at this missions office that's going around sharing the gospel with people and then realizing that Jesus never actually shares the gospel the way that I'm sharing the gospel, this is concerning. What in the world is going on? Um, this was deconstruction before deconstruction was cool, y'all. Like this was, I'm talking like early aughts. We're in like 2004, 2005. That's right. Typical millennial being a hipster, okay? I was cool before being cool was cool. Okay. Uh, so then what is the actual good news? I, I want you to see this, and this is like really simple, and it's right in front of us, and it's plain, and it's black and white, and it's staggering, y'all, at least to me, okay? Projecting, but... Uh, Look at Mark again, Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. So if you're on the slides, you're gonna have to scroll down because I screwed that up. Thank you. Their money back there, MVP. Thank you, Kate. Jesus, uh, this is Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Jesus is going to preach the gospel. And I want you to pay very close attention to the gospel that he preaches. Now, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into uh, into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. So this is Jesus' gospel presentation. Are you ready for it? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he like walks away. Like that's it. That is the message. And like cool, 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 cool. Uh, what? Right? Now, there's all sorts of things that we can read into this. And, and if I can get nerdy for just like two seconds, um, it's not very hard for me to do. 
So what we have done is we've, we have read Paul, particularly Romans, right? Things like the Romans road. Here's the five verses that you need to understand salvation. We've read Paul and then we've taken Paul and we've forced Paul back into Jesus. When in reality, what we ought to do is hear what Jesus is saying, see what Jesus is doing, have a little bit of Old Testament literacy to understand kind of the context that Jesus is doing it in, and then read that back into Paul. And when you do that, what the message of Paul completely changes. And we're going to unpack some of this as we go throughout the course of these next few weeks. But all of a sudden, the gospel goes from being this message of, hey, believe in Jesus so that you can go and be with God in heaven forever and ever and ever, to the gospel is, hey, there's really, really good news. The world has fallen apart, but God has already begun his renovation project. He is reclaiming it and restoring heaven on earth here, and it has begun now. Whoa, that is really different than what I grew up hearing and believing. Okay, uh, another side note. I think that what I really grew up hearing and believing was an element of the actual gospel, right? So don't hear me saying that none of that is true. I think the, the problem was that we centered the wrong things. We made the whole point of it, the individual getting to heaven when they died when that's not the whole point of it. And so I'm not saying, hey, throw all of that out, forget everything you've ever heard and ever knew. No, I genuinely believed in Jesus. I genuinely came to faith through that gospel. So I'm not poo-pooing that gospel. I'm not saying don't trust that gospel. I'm saying there is something much more rich and much more robust that we can enter into. Okay, so what in the world is Jesus saying? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we need to summarize the Bible, okay? Uh, so to understand Jesus' proclamation, we need to, a summary of what he's speaking into, which is essentially we need to understand what is happening in the Old Testament. What has God been doing in history up until this point that Jesus is saying, it's here, it's happening. The thing you've been waiting for has begun. So um, in the beginning, God creates and a huge part of this creation is uh, Genesis chapter one, the very few, first few verses, is God overcoming this formless and void world. We talked about this uh, almost a year ago exactly in our Genesis um, series. That there, there is this, um, and whether you take the Genesis narrative as like purely mythological or as you take it as like actual historical, this is exactly what happened, doesn't matter. The point is exactly the same. There are these forces of darkness and evil that are uh, causing chaos in the world. So God creates the heavens and the earth. Verse two, there is chaos and evil uh, like throughout the earth. And so God comes in and he speaks. And he specifically speaks over the waters, which were the, in their world, that was the God of chaos that no one could overcome. And as he simply speaks over the water, the chaos is subdued. And he then begins creation. I won't go into the whole thing because we don't have time. But he then begins to add form to this formless world. And then he begins to fill this voidless world. And so he overcomes the formlessness and the emptiness of the world. And what he does is he brings order to chaos. He brings beauty to brokenness. He brings life to death. And there in the first few verses of Genesis, if you know who this God is, when Jesus dies on Friday, you should know exactly what's coming. Because this is a God who brings beauty out of ugliness. 
This is a God who takes broken things and heals them. This is a God who resurrects. So the whole beginning of this story begins with God overcoming chaos. Right, we could stop here and have a whole sermon. You got a little chaos in your life, right? Okay, but we're not going to do it. We're going to do it. And then God creates humanity. And he gives humanity a vocation. He gives them a task. In the image of God, they are meant to rule over creation. Now, we've heard that here in Houston, Texas, the capital of oil and gas, as like, rule the earth, right? Like, it's ours. We will take all of the money out of it. We take all the dinosaur bones, and we sell them, and then we destroy the earth with the old dinosaur bones. Did I get that right? Is that how that works? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Again, 10th grade biology, so forgive me. So humanity's job, like their vocation, was to be God in the world. Uh, this whole language of the, they were created in the image of God. So the way that this would work is there would be, and we, we've sort of done this in modern day world. Y'all remember the war in Iraq? Oh my gosh, they don't. They're too young. There's like three of y'all in here. Congratulations. Yeah. So there was this war in Iraq um, that happened, and there was this guy named Saddam Hussein, and he was like this dictator, and we were going to go and liberate Iraq from Saddam Hussein. And one of the things that happens is as you go through Iraq, there are all of these like posters of Saddam Hussein's face and these statues of Saddam Hussein, and you're like, what's with all the statues? And the way this works back in the ancient Near East is a very similar sort of reality. The statue is to remind you of the ruler. Well, the statue in in Genesis is the human. And so the human is put into the creation as the image, as the statue. And so it's to remind all of creation who's in control. And not just in some sort of like, you better watch out way, but no, 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 in all of the ways that you would imagine a benevolent and loving God to do. That when they looked at the human, they should find peace and flourishing and wholeness. And all of creation, the garden, the, uh, and there's this like temple language in Genesis. I told y'all, this is a mess. Uh, right, there's this temple language. The whole thing is like the garden of Eden is meant to be cultivated and spread throughout the entire earth. So that the holy of holies, Eden, uh, the place that God dwells on earth, would eventually fill up the entire planet. But instead, humanity, who is meant to rule over creation, snake comes in, creation, and says, hey, did God really say this? And in that moment, they do not make a moral choice. They do not do a bad behavior. They're not caught up in some sexual sin. Instead, all they do, and this is it, this is what caused the entire cosmos to spiral out of control, is they listened to creation and believed it instead of God. I think creation has my best interest in mind. I'm a little suspicious that God actually does. I entrust myself to this thing over here to give me what I want. I don't really trust God to give me what I want. I'm entrusting myself to this to give me what I need. I don't really want to entrust myself to God to give me what I need. And in that moment, it all fell apart. And we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but what happens is sin and death enter into the world. That human beings and what they were meant to be no longer exist. That yes, we all still, as human beings, bear the image of God, but that image has been shattered. So it's there, but it's also broken. That no one is rightly reflecting the image of God in the world until good old JC, y'all. 
This is why Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. He's using that language on purpose. He is the human being we were all meant to be. He's not just some like, wow, he was God, so he could do all sorts of crazy things that we could never do. No, 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 he is the example, and he's inviting us, hey, come and follow me. Come and be like me. Come and love like me. Come and live like me, because this is what it means to be an image bearer. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So sin and death enter the world. I want you to listen to this, because I think this is wild, and this is so, so helpful for those of us that grew in, grew up in the evangelical world where we heard of, like, we conceived of sin as, like, bad behavior, Right? So in Genesis chapter four, so sin and death enter the world. God kicks them out of the Holy of Holies, kicks them out of Eden. They're out in the world. They're having babies. They're supposed to be filling up the world with the image of God. Instead, they're filling up the the world with the image of something. And that something like seems to keep leading to death. And so he had a son. He lived 7,000 years and he died. It wasn't actually 7,000. That was hyperbole. Okay, it was like 345 years, then he dies, and then he had a son, he lived 485 years, then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, right? But the first story you get is chapter four, verses one through whatever, it's Cain and Abel. We're gonna have some kids, and maybe they'll get it right. They offer some things to worship, which is a good thing, you're doing great. God likes one person's worship better than another, there's a whole conversation as to why that is not for today. And uh, Cain gets mad. And then God comes to Cain and he says this, listen very carefully to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires your destruction. But you must rule over it. Right now we hear that And what we hear is, hey, you better watch out. You better modify your behavior. But that's not what God said. There's this thing out in the world that wants to devour you. Not here. This is not a decision. There is something out there that is opposing you, that wants to destroy you, that wants to consume you. And then he uses this Genesis chapters one and two language, but you can rule over it, right? They were put in the garden, they were given the garden to rule over. It's the same language. And so sin is personified here. That's weird. And it's something that, uh, again, as evangelicals, if we grew up in that world, that was something that was foreign to us because sin was always just my bad decisions. But no, 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 what Genesis very early on is saying is no, 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 there has been chaos and power that has been unleashed into God's creation that is causing creation to spiral out of control and it wants to consume you. Right, Peter puts it this way, the Satan is a devouring lion roaming around seeking who he might devour, right? A raving and roaring lion. So God's world is now once again not marked by order and flourishing and uh, peace, but is instead marked by chaos and death. Fast forward, there's this guy named Abraham, he becomes Israel, and Israel is now going to be God's nation. God's nation is not meant to take over the world violently, uh, right? I don't know, questions. We'll talk about those. But instead, it's meant to image God in the world. 
So that the center of this little tribe is, again, the Holy of Holies. And the whole purpose is that they would be a light to the rest of the world. So that the Holy of Holies would expand and fill the earth with the glory of God once again. But they fail. Because they begin, instead of imaging God, they fall into idolatry, start looking exactly like everyone else around them, and do all sorts of horrible forms of idolatry. And so the promise is made that one day a Messiah would come who would establish God's reign over the world, who would actually and really bring peace, renewing and restoring creation fully and finally. So when Jesus shows up, he's the first human who properly images God. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. There was the old Adam who brought us death, and there's the new Adam who brought us life and grace. And so Jesus shows us what it means to be human and makes this proclamation, the time is here. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. Okay, y'all with me so far? This is sort of dense, but I got some nods. Good, okay. Um, so the Old Testament prophet, let's, let's, I want to unpack Jesus' message here bit by bit, and then we'll wrap this up. Okay, so the time is fulfilled. The Old Testament prophets pointed towards this, uh, these shifting times. So here's what's really beautiful about Hebrew thinking. It's not cyclical, which was sort of strange for the ancient Near Eastern world that their thinking was, uh, had a, like an end, a telos, a mission, that time was actually going somewhere. There were, there were no nihilists in Hebrew thinking. It wasn't a thing. We weren't just kicking it until we died. This is all going somewhere. And so the prophets uh, come along and they have this idea that these shifting times or these shifting epochs will one day occur, a day where the old way of things will pass away, the new way of things will be ushered in, and this was known as the day of the Lord. You read about it all over the place in the minor prophets. The day of the Lord is coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it describes like some of the stereotypical um, Old Testament things like calamity and chaos and destruction. And then it's always followed by like peace and flourishing. This day when God would fully and finally bring justice to the earth, rule over it, bring it to wholeness, bring it to flourishing. And so this time that Jesus refers to here and now, the time is fulfilled is the old age. The the old age is finished. Time is coming to an end. Time as you know it, the old epoch, the old way of things is ending now. This is the pronouncement that Jesus is making. Can you imagine if you're like, hey, we're going to go share the gospel in the Galleria, y'all, and you get in your van, and you go to the Galleria, and you run up to someone, and you're like, the, the time is ending. Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm just going to go into Neiman's. I'll catch you later. Um, but this is what Jesus is saying. Now, in the context, it made a lot more sense. Also, please don't run up to people in the Galleria and yell anything at them. Um, that will show them the love of Jesus more than yelling anything at them. Yeah, so, right. So the old time um, is coming to an end. That time, that chapter, that kingdom, that creation is coming to a close. And now so much of what's happening in the New Testament, some of the language that's used in the New Testament begins to start making sense. When Peter describes the old world melting away, he doesn't literally mean that the old world is going to melt away. He's talking about the old way of things, 
The way of like violence as a means to flourishing. The way of like, hey, take advantage of your neighbor and then you'll actually do well for yourself. All of that, that brokenness that perpetuates evil and darkness and violence into the world is coming to an end. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. So the kingdom of God is simply the language used to describe this reign of God on the earth. I remember I went to this youth camp back again when I was this intern. It was a thing for years. Um, we go to this youth camp, and the whole theme was like, kingdom of God. And I remember I was like a 21-year-old sitting there going, kingdom of God. I don't really understand what that means. And I was really trying to wrestle and grapple with this understanding of what the kingdom of God was and what it meant. Like, is it heaven? Because we're talking about it like it's heaven. But then when you hear Jesus talking about it, he's like, it's here now. But heaven's not here now. I'm so confused It's really simple. All it is is when God is actually reigning on the earth. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we are asking for is, God, will you have your way with our world? Will you do what you want here? And so the kingdom of God has drawn near this old way, this old time, this former age marked by lawlessness, chaos, sin, and death, These things that are not markers of God's reign, but are markers of the old reign, are about to go away. So God's reign is now approaching. The old reign of things is about to come to an end. And so you better had, that's a really, sorry, that's terrible grammar. You better repent, right? You are walking in the old way of life, the old way of destruction, the old way of violence, the old way that leads to death. The kingdom of God is drawing near, and so stop walking in that way and start walking in this way instead. See, we hear repent as God knows what you're doing on your computer. You better stop clicking those things, right? And that's not permission to go and click on things, okay? That's not my point. My point is it is way uh, way, way more heinous than that. It is way more ingrained. It is way deeper than that. Because we can stop clicking on this thing and continue to perpetuate sin and violence into the world and to the lives of our neighbors. And so repentance is not just about not doing things anymore. It's about taking up this whole new way of being, this whole new way of showing up. It says, no, 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 the way to get ahead in this world is the way of grace. To disadvantage myself for the advantage of my neighbor. To repent and believe the good news. Okay, so last piece here. Gospel is like this technical word that we hear as simply like, uh, I don't know, good news, right? When really it was more like a proclamation. So like an edict that a king would send out. It wasn't just like, And tonight on the five o'clock news, breaking. That's not how this worked. It wasn't just new information. It was a like royal decree or royal announcement. And it usually had to do with a conquest. So the way this would work is like uh, a territory would be taken over and a messenger would run back and proclaim the good news that the king had taken over this new territory. Or sometimes in reverse, the army is coming. So a messenger would go into the, the place about to be conquered and said, hey, the army's coming. Hey, good news. He's already won. You want to switch sides real quick or 
right? And so this, this works both ways. This is not just about like mental assent to information. It's about allegiance and loyalty. So when Jesus, in the very next verse, goes to some fishermen and says, hey, follow me, they knew exactly what he was, stepping, what he was asking them to step into. Lay down your old way of life and come and enter the kingdom of God that is now breaking in. Okay, so what in the world do Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with any of this? We talked about this last week really quickly. In Jesus' death, he is taking upon himself all of the old creation, which includes our own personal like contribution to that, our own personal like acts of violence and hatred against our neighbor. But in addition to that, he is taking upon himself the powers out there that are also oppressing us. And at the cross, all of that evil, all of that sin, all of that power has been drawn in and defeated, not in violence, not in Jesus coming in and wrecking shop, but in Jesus willingly giving himself to the point of death. And this is what C.S. Lewis illustrates so beautifully in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is that the right? Is that the name? Yeah, okay, thank you. I thought there was a lamb in there somewhere, but I think that's just, yeah. The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where he comes to the, the Aslan goes to the table, and all the power is drawn in. They think they've won, and they kill him, and all of a sudden they realize that that, that killing was their undoing. That's, this is exactly what we're describing here. And so then the resurrection, as we talked about last week, is the first day of new creation. It's the something new has begun. It's the now we can step into this new world. And so you have these parallel worlds that are existing. The old creation that still exists here and now, you can go out there and you can take advantage of your neighbor and you can get ahead and you can get the promotion by lying about who they are or whatever it is that you do. I don't know. Or you can take up your cross and you can follow Jesus into this new way of being into this new world that's already here, but not yet quite here. This upside down kingdom that we experience here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Okay. So a real quick summary. Jesus has begun God's reclamation project, defeating the powers of sin and death and the devil and ushering in God's new creation and has promised to one day return to usher it in in full. Right, and so, so here's our starting point. And what I need us to hear as we go into the next few weeks is that this has nothing to do with going to heaven. In fact, listen to this, because right, this is our year of hope, and we're kind of coming to an end on our year of hope. We're going to do some stuff during the summer, but this is going to be our last big like, hope-oriented series. What is our hope? Our hope is not heaven. When we stand at a funeral, we stand next to the dead body of a loved one, our hope is not that their soul is up there somewhere in the clouds, that one day our soul too will someday be up in the clouds and that we will meet them. Our hope is that one day that lifeless, painted, embalmed body in front of us will somehow mysteriously and miraculously be reanimated and we will be able to look our loved one in the eyes again. We will be able to embrace them bodily, physically, in a recreated and renewed physical, actual world. This is the hope of the Christian. It's resurrection. 
And so our hope is that you and I are invited into God's reign, this new creation that has already begun, as we are being remade into whole human beings. Conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is how Paul puts it. If Jesus is the perfect human, we are becoming exactly like that. And we've been freed from the bondage of the old creation and its patterns of death. Now, there's a whole conversation about like salvation and sanctification and what do we do with sin now and how do we live into this? That's going to be in the fall. So that's coming, but like way down the road. So you have to stick around. Sorry, you can't leave. What I want to do for the next several weeks is talk about, wait, what do we do with some of the old stuff that we've been taught and that we've learned about heaven and hell and the afterlife and death and that sort of thing? The hope we have in Jesus is to be remade, to be actually and really human again. So I remember I used to teach this to 17-year-olds. And y'all, when you tell a 17-year-old, like, hey, what Jesus is doing for you is not making you escape your body and going and floating around on a cloud with a harp forever and ever and ever, but actually, like, allowing you to live in this world in, like, whatever your perfect body is, which is probably the body of a 17-year-old, let's be serious, You've seen them and their metabolism is ridiculous. I'm not bitter, whatever. And they're like, wait, what? Like that's, that suddenly begins to sound like good news. Like, and, and these are 17-year-olds that have lived some life. They, they're, they're privileged in lots of ways, but they've also experienced some real nasty, traumatic stuff at home. They've experienced, like, the loss of, of fathers at a ridiculously young age. So they know enough about the nastiness and the monstrous nature of life to know that this life as it is is broken, but that this life as it is is also really good and rich, and they're conflicted on, like, I don't know, I love this life and I don't want to leave it anytime soon, but also, like, there's some terrible stuff. What do I do with that? Kids, Jesus has the answer. This suddenly is good news. So then this hope that we experience can be lived into here and now among God's new creation. I love the song. That was one of Mike's songs that we sung at the beginning of our service because it so beautifully captures exactly what we're talking about. So I I mentioned in the garden, there's this image of like Eden being the holy of holies. And then in the story of Israel, you have this tabernacle and this temple, which is the holy of holies. And then you get to Acts, well, Jesus is the holy of holies. Then you get to Acts and the the church becomes this holy of holies. And we we hear this, we're like, okay, yeah, interesting, that's cool. I heard someone uh, this week recently talk about it in terms of sin as pollution, which I love this metaphor. And that the holy of holies is this bubble of clean, purified air. And so this all of a sudden makes sense of a lot of the weird Old Testament stuff where if you touch the pollution, you now have to go and do some cleansing stuff in order to come back into the clean air. But the idea here is this, that this, this bubble of clean air that exists surrounded by all of this pollution would go out and begin to expand. And then all of a sudden what evangelism means for you and me is to invite people into the clean air. Come and experience community with me. Come and experience like real robust relationship with me. Not relationship that's perfect, but relationship that's filled with grace and forgiveness. And like you get to actually really be yourself. And so there's like confession, but there's also acceptance. And it's really good and beautiful. And you can have it here and now. 
Okay, sorry. That was supposed to end like three points ago, and let me end here. And this is my summary of this morning's sermon. So if you've checked out, check back in for like five seconds, and you'll have gotten the whole thing, okay? The gospel, as many of us have come to know it, is a story centered on getting us to heaven and saving us from hell. When in reality, the gospel that Jesus and subsequently the rest of the New Testament proclaim is one about God reclaiming the cosmos and bringing heaven to earth. And that this good news is already begun. No, it's not fully here yet, but it has already begun. We are not just sitting here and waiting for it. We are able to live into it here and now. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.